Welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. You know, at the beginning of the year, we always make fresh commitments, and we should make fresh commitments. I don't know that I use the word resolutions. The connotation of the word resolution is the 30-day commitment, 45-day commitment. I resolve to, as long as I can, and then before long we, we slide back into our old habits, right? But we should be intentional about some things at the beginning of the year. Maybe not so much about starting new things, but progressing things that are already in place in our life. Prayer and Bible reading are, are two things that we should progress in our daily life. We should always find time and make commitments to read the Word of God. And we should find time to pray and talk to God. We should also, at the beginning of the year, be willing to look at our lives and hit the reset button. Look at our lives and take an inventory. We've all heard of spring cleaning, right? And what happens in spring cleaning? You find stuff in the back of the closet that you didn't even know you had. Or maybe it's the thing that you knew you had, but you forgot you had, and you were told you had, but you thought you didn't have, but then you found it. Did you follow that? We did spring cleaning one time at our house, and well, more than once, but one of the times we did spring cleaning at our house, we were going through a box, and I began to pull stuff out, and, and I started telling stories about this, and I remember when we got that, and before long, it wasn't cleaning, it was sitting around telling old stories reminiscing about all the things of the past. It's good to do inventory. It's good to take inventory in our lives because when you do that, you find the stuff that you have that you want to keep. You also find the stuff that you've had that you're like, why am I keeping this? And you want to get rid of it. You can offload it. You can trash it. You can remove it from your life. And so that's why at the beginning of the year here at LifeSpring Church, we do 21 days of sacrifice, 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's self-inventory into our lives. We're going to talk a little bit about prayer and fasting today and then share with you kind of what our 21 days of sacrifice is for this year. And then we'll close this, e or this afternoon with a time of prayer and consecration to God. So let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Then we'll jump down and read 16 through 18. And then we'll jump real quick over to Hebrews. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. It says, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Matthew 6 and 16. Moreover, when you fast... Do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, 
for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for being respectful to God's word. We're just going to dig in a little bit today. We're going to start teaching and maybe when we get done, there'll be a little bit of preaching. But I want to help us understand prayer and fasting. Maybe take a little bit of a deeper dive into prayer and fasting. You know, Jesus was teaching here in Matthew chapter 6, and, and his apostles or disciples had come to him and asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And so his response was what we all know is the Lord's Prayer. And the, the Lord's Prayer was not given so it would necessarily be his intent for us to recite the Lord's Prayer, although it's great to memorize and its purpose is there to be a template of how we should pray. Now there are times that I've prayed the Lord's Prayer because the words of the Lord's Prayer are the feelings and the words of my heart that I want to express. But we find in it a template for us on how to pray. It gives us the attitude of prayer. What is the attitude of prayer? The attitude of prayer is reverence. Prayer is a reverent action of the believer. Prayer should not be casual. Prayer should be something that we do with solemnness, with sobriety. Prayer should be something that we engage in because we're not just talking to the guy next door or a far off acquaintance, but we are literally requesting and entering into an audience with the most holy one. That's why Jesus in his example gives to us in 16 and, or 6 and 9 of Matthew, in this manner therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Literally means to be held in reverence, to be recognized as holy. How beautiful of an opportunity we have as believers, as born-again Christians, those who have been obedient to the gospel. How beautiful of an opportunity we have that we literally get to walk into the very presence of God and have communion with Him. We can communicate one with another with God. It reminds me in and challenges me in my own spirit that I should grab a hold of this attitude of reverence in prayer because it's always it has not always been that way. Remember, there were, there were people who served God in the Old Testament simply out of ritual and obedience. They did it simply out of directives from the Word of God. They would offer a sacrifice in the morning. They would offer a sacrifice in the evening. 
Once a year, they'd offer an atonement sacrifice. There were priests whose job was to receive the sacrifice of the people and offer it before God. There was no spirit involved. There was no presence of God involved. It was simply an obedient act, which I think is kind of gruesome. Killing an animal, shedding its blood, sprinkling its blood on the horns of the altar, following the ritual, and then when it was done, it was done. And only the one priest who was the lots fell to or was selected for that year, it was their responsibility to go in at the atonement offering and they would then go into the holies of holies and offer sacrifice. And that was the only person that year that stood in the presence of God. But because Jesus fulfilled the law, we each one can every day, at any moment, at any time, walk into the holies of holies of God's presence. At any moment, we can open our heart in reverence and solemnness to God and begin to cry out to Jesus, and instantaneously, His presence can be there. Instantaneously, His Spirit is there with us, and He can be tangible to us in prayer. Hallowed be your name. Acts tells us there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We're taught through scripture that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What a blessed name. What a powerful name. Jesus even declared that he has all power in heaven and earth. It's by the name of Jesus we pray and the sick are healed. It's by the name of Jesus we pray and the demoniacs are delivered. It's by the name of Jesus we pray and people with broken hearts and broken spirits can have those things mended and God can do a healing work in their lives. What a holy and blessed name that we should enter into with reverence. Verse 13 says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There is an action that comes along with prayer, and the action is communication. The number one result, the number one way to resolve conflict is to communicate. What happens if a husband and wife gets mad at each other and refuse to talk? It's like taking two pots and putting them on two separate burners, putting a pressure cooker lid on them, just letting them sit and go. And we'll see which one blows up first. There's marriage advice for the day. Don't do that. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Hot water is better to handle than an explosion in your kitchen. You get the analogy? Have a communal conversation. Have a form of communication. And it doesn't just have to be at bad times. It's great to communicate the good things in life. We should be in constant communication with our Heavenly Father. We should be in constant communication with the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Prayer is no more complicated, and it's nothing more and it's nothing less than just talking to God. That's prayer. It may be a book that has prayers written in it that you find the one that 
communicates how you feel in your heart that day. I don't necessarily know that we should grab books of prayer and just turn to day four and read that prayer. But if there's a book and it has prayers written in it and it communicates how your heart's feeling, you know, I've prayed the Psalms before. Why? Because David has an incredible way of crafting words together. And I'll begin to read that psalm and be like, you know, that's kind of exactly what I wanted to say, but my words didn't come together like that. I kind of sounded like Elmer Fudd, and that sounds way better. So I think I'm going to pray that prayer. There may be times you're just so overwhelmed that you don't even have to think about the words. It just begins to flood out of you, and you just begin to communicate to God. But you're talking to your Heavenly Father. Not just in the stress, not just in the turmoil, not just in the conflict, but when a blessing falls in your life. Let your words be a communication to God. Lord, this is incredible. Lord, you've done awesome works in our life. Prayer is just simply that verbal communication between humanity and divinity. Did you know you can talk to God just like you would talk to anybody else? Maybe you're versed in King's English, and maybe you feel that's your uh, best way to communicate. But man, I just don't, I just would have a hard time talking to God in these and vows. Thou most favored, holiest, greatest one in which thou art. Thy humble servant come before thy presence, unbeknownst to thee. My sorrow is greatest. I don't know. No, Lord. I need you today. Lord, I got a day ahead of me. I'm not sure how it's all going to work out. But I'd sure like for you to be here with me. Maybe even just a little bit in front of me. Just kind of working the path as I go today, Lord. God's not sitting on the throne. <laughs> that was not fancy. Not listening. He's like, man, you're honest with me? You're being transparent? You're having a conversation? I'm there. I'm right there with you. My promise is I'll never leave you and never forsake you. Just talk to God. God's not impressed with our language skills. Big words don't impress God. You've never prayed a prayer with words that God said, hold on, let me look that up. God's not looking for Scrabble words. Well, I guess it's Wordle words nowadays. The volume of our prayer doesn't impress God. Now, now our volume may communicate passion and intensity in our prayer, but you don't have to be loud for God to hear you. You could just whisper your prayer to God. You could just begin to speak in a soft tone to God and he hears you and he responds to you his interest is only that you would speak out to him in reverence transparency and honesty and that is prayer fasting let's talk about fasting Jesus is still teaching his disciples even after he gives them the the template prayer his example prayer the Lord's prayer and he continues on, he begins to talk about fasting in verse 
16 of Matthew 6. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. Bet the hypocrites all kind of throwing daggers. For they disconfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He's, he's calling out the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The ones who wouldn't wash their face, be all distressed, and they walked around. Today's just a day to sacrifice for God. Say, like, no, this isn't about you. They, they've received their reward. People standing all, oh, he's on four days of fasting. Can you believe him? He's fasted for four days. God's like, all right. You get the cheap accolades of humanity. There's your reward. He says, no, 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 don't do that. Wash your face, clean yourself up, anoint your head, call yourself up, put on your holy, righteous goodness, bear up strength. And if you're hungry, be hungry. <laughs> you don't have to tell everybody, oh, I'm so. You know, I would go to lunch with the lunch group today, but man, it's an extreme day of sacrifice and, and fasting for me today. No, just simply, simply make a statement. You know, I think I'm going to back out today. I got some, some things personally that I'm taking care of. Do it in secret. Do it in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And here in a bit we'll talk about some of the rewards, some of the results of prayer and fasting. The attitude of fasting is humility. The attitude of fasting is humility. Not pride, not arrogance. Not an ostentatious parade of your spirituality. It's simply humility. And the action of fasting is sacrifice. And we all know that, right? Has, how many here has ever fasted? I think we've got fasters in the house. Yeah, we've all fasted. Was it a sacrifice? It's a sacrifice when we give up and we fast. Fasting in its full context is going without food either for a religious or a medical purpose. I'm not a doctor, so this today is in the context of our spirituality and our walk with God. To not eat is a sacrifice, and there's no truer statement that will be said today. To not eat is a sacrifice. Look at me. I like eating. Matter of fact, much of my world is surrounded by eating. 
and maybe yours is too. It's, it's kind of the culture of America and even other countries. Things are surrounded by eating. Business meetings involve food, snacks. Getting together with friends and family often involves some sort of food or snacks. Celebrations and parties involve food. Food is a very integral part of our lives, and when we remove food from our lives, it does become self-sacrificing. And so the attitude of fasting is humility, and the action of fasting is sacrifice. For prayer and fasting to work, though, there has to be this, this common ingredient in our prayer and in our fasting, and that common ingredient is faith. Hebrews 11, 6 tells us, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Him is God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is simply believing despite the evidence your senses can't recognize. I can't feel it with my hands, but I still believe it. I can't see it yet with my eyes, but I still believe it. I haven't heard it yet with my ears, but I still believe it. Reverent prayer with faith moves prayer beyond just religious practice. Faithless prayer ends up being prayers of rep repetition. Faithless prayers become heartless prayers. Prayers without faith lack honesty and transparency. But when we pray with faith, all things are possible. When you pray with even just the faith which measures the grain of a mustard seed, the Bible tells us, God teaches us that you can move mountains. When we pray with just a little bit of faith, and we build our faith from time to time to time, and it grows he says, anything that you would ask in my name, I will do it. It's like a father. When a child comes to you and asks you, hey, dad, I need to do this. and I need your help. Can you help me do this? First, we determine if it will involve bodily harm. We determine if the expense is worth the value. And we say, okay, let's do it. And God, your heavenly father, when you come to him and you begin to pray, he looks at his will for your life and he says, will this involve harm? Is the value greater than the expense? Okay, let's do it. This is why sometimes God answers our prayers no. But when we pray to him, he will work on our behalf. Humble fasting, when it's combined with faith, is more than religious ritual or some type of personal penance. Faithless prayer is just powerless religiosity. It's the powerless practice of repetitive church rituals. But when I fast with faith, Lord, I'm going to make a sacrifice, and I believe that you see my sacrifice and I believe that this sacrifice has a purpose, and that purpose will be fulfilled. When we fast with 
faith, anything is possible. God can move in our lives any way he wants to when we fast with faith. Faith-filled fasting becomes the gateway to the supernatural. Fasting is the act of personal consecration for a period of time. Did you know fasting is holy? You say the word holiness in a Pentecostal church and people grab all kinds of ideas. Let me tell you one thing that falls under holiness. Fasting. What does it mean to be holy? Holy means to be separated. What is fasting? It's an act of consecration, separating myself from something that I dearly love. Food. It's an act of consecration. It's an act of holiness unto God. So if you want to be holy unto God, then fast. Set time periods in your life where you fast. We're going to fast together as a congregation, but we should have individual times of consecration to God. Lord, I'm going to take this time period. Maybe it's one day a week. Maybe it's two days a month. Maybe it's, I don't know, whatever you want to do. It's you and your relationship with God, you can decide what level of consecration you want to have in that area. But have a time of fasting with God. Fasting is really, really taking inventory. Fasting is when you say, I'm going to quit playing with all the toys and go through the toy closet and see what all is really in there. Fasting says, I'm going to quit reading all the books and I'm going to go in the library and see what all the books are that I have. Fasting says, I'm going to quit doing all the things I want to do and I'm going to take inventory of my life and see what all is really in my heart and see what I need to keep and what I need to get rid of. Fasting is separating ourselves for a holy purpose. It could be from food. It could be from other items of sacrifice. Fasting, though, does not create an obligation on God. None of us can go to God, the Holy One, the Majestic One, and say, Lord, here's my act of humanity that I did. It creates an obligation for your divinity to move. Fasting just removes our obligations to the things of this world from our own life. We build obligations on ourselves. I have to have a Reese's cup every single day. Man, that sounds like a great obligation. Until Reese decides he wants to hang around the whole time. And then he brings all of his friends. This is fasting, removing these obligations from us. Oh, I'll make the lighthearted examples. I'll let you apply them in the other areas of life. It opens up additional capacity in our lives for God to speak to us. It opens up capacity in our lives for God to speak to us. Now you're thinking, what does that mean? I'm going to show you what that means. It's not radioactive. 
What does it mean, capacity? Every single one of us, our lives have a set amount of capacity, space, time, ability, willingness, however you want to define capacity, to allow things to happen and be active in our lives. And if your life is like many people's lives, it's full, like this vase. It's full to the top. It's, it's full. Your capacity is taken up. And so then we have to look at the capacity of our lives and what is consuming the capacity in our lives. Well, we've got things in our lives. We've got God in our lives. We've got self in our lives. We've got food in our lives. This is in the context of our 21 days of sacrifice. And you may say, I've set God first in my life. When I fill this jar up, this vase up, the, the first thing that fills up is, is our time set aside for God, our capacity for God. And God loves firsts. You read through the Bible, God, God requires the first of nearly everything in our lives. God loves first because it's an act of reverence and honor for him when we give him the first. But then we say, oh, but there's some stuff I like for myself, entertainment, hobbies. Self is a big category. And before long, we begin to take that inventory and we find out the area of self is, is, is bigger than the area of, of God. And, and maybe I've put more of myself into life than I've put God into life. And, and I just don't have room for anything else in life. And of course, there's, there's necessities, there's, there's food, and we have to eat, we have to live, we have to survive. And, and maybe food's become a coping mechanism for somebody. You know, people get addicted to food. You know, food can become a drug. People can become so addicted to food that they have to have. There are people who literally have to go through counseling and, and withdrawal syndromes and, and work through the process of changing their eating habits because they become so addicted to food. Before long, we say, my life is so full, I don't, even, I don't even have room for any more of God. I give him my first. It's not very much, but I give him my first. He should be honored by that, and, and I'm going to give him all I have. And so we live our lives full of capacity with a little bit of God, and we say there's no time for me to do anything else. But then when we fast, we just say, all right, I'm going to dump it all out. I'm going to take it all out. I'm going to empty myself. In front of God. I'm going to become transparent. I'm going to become clear. I'm going to let God speak to me exactly how he needs to. I'm going to let him completely reorganize my life. And so God begins to work on us. He says, let's talk about your priorities. Let's see. We'll work on these, these priorities in your life and and we'll see that we get them right. And we begin to talk to God. And he says, you know what? There's nothing wrong with self. There's nothing wrong with self. There's nothing wrong with being entertained. There's nothing wrong with having hobbies. There's nothing wrong with doing things that bring you pleasure. There's nothing wrong with those things. As long as they're godly and wholesome and they, they build up your life, you shouldn't feel guilty for having a hobby. There's no shame in and being a golf player or whatever it is you like to do for, 
for a hobby. But we should make sure that our hobby isn't our God. We should make sure these things of self don't become priority in our life and take up more capacity than God does. And so, yeah, we have self in our life. We have things that are self. And so we'll, we'll recognize that and, and fill our life up to that farthing. This is self. This is us. This is me doing, doing my thing. And then, and then we take inventory of, of food and and all that's a part of that. And, and food this is really the sacrifice of giving up food. And our physical body going through the, not to overstate it, but terrible anguish of not eating. And so we make a, a sacrifice. And, and in 21 days of sacrifice, you could find out, you know, there's, I really don't have to have a Reese's cup every single day. And. Reese's doesn't bring all of his friends along. And that's a whole different topic. But we maybe take a reevaluation of where food falls in our life and, and those types of things. And then we're having that conversation and God's like, you know what? When you, you look at your life and you get your priorities right, there really is quite a bit of room of capacity for God. There really is quite a bit of space left for God to work in your life. And so God says, how about I fill up the rest of your life? How about I fill up everything else in your life and I be the greatest thing in your life? This is fasting. Fasting is an emptying out and a reprioritization of our life and taking the capacity that we have and making sure that God has the most. Not just first, but the most part in our life. The greatest measure in our life. Prayer and fasting have purpose. And we must make sure that when we pray and when we fast, we do it with purpose. So let's talk about each of them and their associated purpose. The purpose of prayer must be bigger than us. We shouldn't pray prayers that are small. I'm going to explain that in a minute. We should pray prayers that are big. We should pray prayers that are bigger than us. You should pray prayers that scare your flesh and excite your spirit. Our prayers should mandate that we have faith. Did you know God's not going to do for us what we can do for ourselves? And that measurement is not a constant across all people. What person A can do for themselves may be different than what person B can do for themselves. And God fills in the inadequacies. God fills in beyond our own resources. He's our Heavenly Father, and He provides your need beyond what you're able to provide on your own. And this is where faith comes into play. When we ask bigger than ourselves, believing that God is going to do the example, or going to do what it is we've asked Him to do in its greatest magnitude. Can I give you an example? 
Maybe this takes many of us back in time. But have you ever prayed for a test? My two kids are here. They probably prayed for tests. They're smart. They probably had to pray for tests. Your prayer may sound something like, Lord God, Heavenly Father, great, omniscient one, one who knows all things. I'm about to take a test. And on this test, I'd like to pass it, Lord, so I need you to help me get an A, a B, a B minus. Lord, I'll even satisfied with a C. Lord, help me pass this test. Come to find out this is all we've done for the test. We didn't go to class. We didn't read the textbook. We didn't study the lesson. We didn't take notes. We didn't turn in any assignments. We did nothing but pray a prayer for our test. This is the example of where the Lord admonished us, us through Scripture that we should not pray amiss. God always takes what's provided and uses what's provided to make a miracle. That example, that principle is in Scripture. His very first miracle is the example of that principle. We ran out of wine. What are we going to do? Hey, Jesus, make some wine. Jesus didn't just go, poof, wine. He's God manifested in flesh. In seven days, he created everything that exists. He could have said, wine, be thou here. He didn't do that. He said, go get me some vessels and fill them up with water. And after the people were first obedient and provided something for God to work with, he then turned water into wine. The disciples have been following Jesus all day long. It's hot. They're all tired. And not only are the disciples tired, but the thousands of people in the multitude have been following them all day are tired and worn out. And Jesus says, how do you all sit down? We're going to eat. And the disciples say, say what? There's... A multitude, Jesus. We're just fishermen, man. We ain't got that kind of money. We can't go to town and buy food for all these people. And Jesus is like, oh, just bring me whatever you got. So they go around. They start looking. They start digging through diaper bags, man. All the fishies are gone out of that one. All the granola bars are gone out of that one. All the fruit pouches are gone out of that. These people are exhausted, Lord. They've used everything up they got. And here comes a little kid trotting along on his way to afternoon school, carrying his little sack lunch. And one of the disciples says, man, dude, I hate to say this to you, but can I have your fish and bread? Jesus is wanting to feed some people, and i got to start somewhere. He brings two small fish and five loaves of bread to Jesus. Jesus blesses it, breaks it, and says, all right, you guys begin to hand that out. It wouldn't have took very long to realize the miracle. I don't know if they set up like a soup line, cafeteria line, where they came through and grabbed a little basket of food or a little napkin of food. But after you break the first fish in half and give the guy a little piece of loaf, and you go back and... Did you get food? You did, okay. He break off another piece. He handed it to the next. He's like, 
get involved and you're going and, and before long, 25 people have gone through the line and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We had food here for one fluffy fella. And we've already fed a community. This is a miracle. This is a miracle. Because God took what they brought and he used that to produce the miracle. So when it comes to prayer, we have to bring something to God in prayer. Maybe it's a broken heart that he can heal. Maybe it's an addiction that he can break off of us. Maybe it's an unanswered question that we need answered. Maybe it's sin that we need forgiveness. Maybe it's something that we don't understand that we need God to give us understanding. When we begin to pray and we are obedient to him and we bring to him our water, he can then do the miraculous and turn it into wine. Praying God's will is praying God's word. Praying is us aligning with what God wants to do. Can God heal the sick? Yes. But there has to be a desire for healing and faith that God can do it. Can God deliver the addict? Of course God can deliver the addict. But there has to be a desire for change and faith that God will do it. Can God heal emotional and spiritual wounds? Yes, God can heal. But there has to be a surrender of the pain and faith that God is going to work in our lives. You may say to yourself, well, this, is, this overcomplicates it. Because doesn't God already know? Yes, God already knows. But he said, seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Ask, and you shall receive. Obedience is a part of God answering our prayer. What is the prayer that can never be answered? What is the prayer that God refuses to answer? It's the prayer never prayed. God can't answer prayers never prayed. And so if we'll pray the prayer and we'll have faith, God can answer the prayer. God wants us to exercise our faith by verbally asking, by committing our heart through faith to the desire and believing in the power of God through our spoken word. This is prayer. This is the purpose of prayer. To harbor it, our need in our heart is sincerity. Please hear me in the avenue that I'm trying to minister to you this morning. This is not cruel. This is just, I'm trying to be very honest and transparent with you today. Sincerity is great to the human. Because sincerity drives emotion. And we can sincerely hold on to something in our heart. And we grasp it with everything that we have. But sincerity lacks faith. Because if we have faith, we don't just hold it inside of us. We release it to God and give it to Him and let Him do the work. Lord, I sincerely want to serve you. Lord, I sincerely want to be used in your kingdom. Lord, I sincerely want to have a deep relationship with you. And these are the things that we hold inside. 
But those things become tangible and they become real and they become actionable when we say them verbally in words to God in prayer. It's not just a thought in my heart, but it's the words that I speak to God in prayer. What would happen if you didn't just think about serving God and hold it in your heart, but you actually said to God, Lord, I want to serve you greater this week than I did last week. God's like, all right, let's see what we can do about that. We hold in our heart, Lord, I'm stressed out at work. This is crazy. God's like, I know it's in your heart, but you got to ask to receive. What would happen if we said, Lord, I'm going into a new week. Last week was complete chaos. I need you to go before me into this week. I need you to prepare a pathway before me. I'm going to put my trust and confidence in you, Lord. I give you this chaos at my job, and I believe that you can do a miracle with it. God's like, all right, you show up on Monday, I'll be there. We hold it in our heart. Oh, this family member, their life is destroyed through addiction or choices that they've made in life. And, and it's just running them into the mill. And we hold it with sincerity in our heart. And, and we're passionate about it in our soul and our spirit. What would happen if we released that sincerity, that need to God, and we verbalized it. And we said, Lord, and call out that person's name. Lord, would you move in their hearts? Would you break their addiction? Lord, would you give them wisdom and understanding in the decisions that they make? God's like, yeah, I'm on my way to their address right now. Faith is saying it out loud and believing it will happen. There is something supernatural that happens when we convert thoughts to spoken word. It changes the atmosphere. It empowers God to do something. It gives him a vessel of water that he can do the miraculous. When you pray, you give God two fish and five loaves of bread. Hidden words in our heart are tucked away, securely held. We've eliminated risk and all accountability. But the minute we speak those words, we create accountability. And we say, I believe it. And I become accountable to my faith. I believe you're going to do it. And I'm going to speak it. And I'm going to pray it until the will of God is accomplished. This is the purpose of prayer. What is the purpose of fasting? Fasting has a purpose. Fasting should not only just have purpose, but it should have an intended result. Fasting is not a hunger strike to persuade God to do it our way. Lord, I need a 25-digit salary. So I'm not going to eat for the next 95 days until you provide it, Lord. God's like, man, you're going to be hungry. <laughs> man, bro, yeah. You can't create obligation on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Our actions don't persuade God. Our actions empower God. And that should change the reason we act and the intent in which we act. Your actions don't persuade God. I don't get to walk up to God and grab his arm and put it behind his back, hold him and say, all right, Lord, I've got you. You're going to have to move or before I let you go. 
No. Our actions are like when Jesus came riding in on the colt of a donkey. They took off their coats and laid it before him. They had the wrong purpose in mind. Get it. But their attitude is what we're talking about. The purpose is what we're talking about. Oh, you're the king. You're coming to reign. Holy, holy. Oh, Savior, oh, Savior. And they're waving the palm branches to him. They're creating a path for him to work in. That's the actions that we take. That's what fasting does. We create a pathway for the supernatural to work. Fasting is humbling ourselves so God can use us to do what he wants to do. This is why fasting and prayer go together. Because fasting is removing and prayer is putting in. Fasting says, I'll make a way for God to work. Prayer says, I'll provide the road materials for God to, to do the work. Fasting unleashes supernatural power to operate in our lives. A better, more appropriate way to say it maybe is, fasting liberates us from the carnal chains that hinder the supernatural from operating in our lives. God doesn't care if you have a hobby, but God's not going to do a miracle through your hobby. He's going to do a miracle through your prayers. Your hobby may help you build relationships to make a disciple out of somebody. But nobody got the Holy Ghost because you hit a hole in one. You might have got a Bible study out of it. That's disciple making. But the miracle of someone getting the Holy Ghost would be a result of making a disciple out of somebody and leading them to a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is because you've been praying for the golf buddy. What about Cornelius in the New Testament? The Bible says he fasted and gave alms. What happened to Cornelius? He created an avenue for the miraculous. Anybody had an angel show up and give you a direct word from God to call so-and-so to get more direction from God? Never happened to me. It happened to Cornelius, a Gentile. The Jews didn't even think he could be saved. And while the Jews are over here having their whole discussion about who God can save and can't save and, and God's letting down curtains and, and food and all this stuff to Peter, it's all happening over here at Simon the Tanner's house an angel standing in the living room of Cornelius' house, because you've prayed and because you've fasted and you've been faithful to God, here's what you need to do, Cornelius. Be obedient. Follow the word of God. And when Peter got there, before Peter even finished preaching, the Holy Ghost fell in that guy's house and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the purpose of fasting and prayer. Let me be honest, and may I speak to us, and maybe to Christianity as a whole. The reason we don't experience the God, our God, the way they experience God in the book of Acts, is because we aren't disciplined like those who were in the book of Acts. What I mean is maybe we don't have the same hunger for God that says no matter what it takes. You see, their Christianity cost them something. 
Let me draw some analogies. The apostles, disciples, the followers of Jesus in Acts chapter 2, and all of the Acts of the apostles, they didn't have 24-7 Christian programming. They couldn't flip to this channel, then that channel, then that channel. They couldn't turn the radio dial to this station, to that station, to that station. They couldn't pick that podcast, this podcast, or another podcast. They couldn't put in this CD, that CD, or that CD. They didn't have this cassette, that cassette, or that cassette. I'm getting way back there. We probably don't play eight tracks no more. They didn't have this flood of Christian programming. If the apostles wanted to sing praise, they didn't put in their favorite CD or turn on their iPhone or Apple Music or Spotify to their favorite Christian station and sit there and soak it in. They had to produce it. If they wanted to praise God, they had to sing it. If they wanted someone to play instruments, they had to play them. They didn't take service in Ephesus, record it, send the videotape over to Colossus and say, all right, guys, here's worship service for you guys. Worship, praise, was an intended act, an, an intentional act of their hands. It cost them something to praise God. It costs us nothing. Not even our full attention. We'll have Christian radio blaring in the back of the house. Just noise. It doesn't cost us much. If the early disciples were sick, they didn't go to the medicine cabinet and pour through all the different over-the-counter medicines to soothe their ailments. They prayed. They prayed. And I encourage us this year. I have no problem with you taking medicine. That's not what I'm saying. But we should pray. The Bible tells us if there's any sick among you, let them call on the elders of the church. They'll lay their hands on you and pray the prayer of faith. Anoint your head with oil and pray the prayer of faith and God will heal them and forgive their sins. If you're sick in your body, you need someone to lay hands on you and pray for you to have healing in your body. Let's adopt that this year. Let's say, yes, I need healing in my body. Somebody pray for me. When it comes to understanding the word of God, there were not multiple Christian bookstores to choose from. They didn't have all the different versions of the Bible that was their favorite to read to choose from. If you wanted to hear God's word, you had to go to the temple on the Sabbath. Most people that lived in that day weren't versed in the language of the scrolls. They couldn't even read the word of God for themselves. If they wanted to hear the word of God, they had to go and hear a priest Read the word of God to them from the sacred scrolls. And today, innumerable devotions and commentaries to feed our soul. The modern day church has become morbidly obese on the conveniences of Christianity. The church of our century, Christians... Have become, buffet, have become buffet attenders whose ears are tickled by word twisters and soothing of their conscience to feed their human wheel. We have so much Christian input 
and yet so less Christian output. The reason is simple. It doesn't cost us anything. We've become so flooded with Christian culture that we've forgotten what it means to be a disciple first. We've become so flooded with the prosperity doctrines of men that we no longer have the convictions of commitment and sacrifice. Jesus has been turned into the candy man. Charlatans make obscene statements like, out of nowhere, God's just going to pour so much on you, your life, you won't even be able to hold all of it. Where's that in the Bible? you believe it send in an offering and God will double the blessing ridiculous have we studied what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ the commercialization of Christmas is the biggest lie being sold to the religious enterprise when in reality they gather to treat symptoms, yet never seek healing for their ailments. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to love us. He came to give us grace and give us mercy. But he came with an expectation that we would dedicate our life to him. The point is, we need a natural hunger for the supernatural. We need a hunger that wells up inside of us uh, that says, Lord, I don't want the facade of Christianity any longer, but I want the truth. I want depth in my walk with you. We cannot be full of this world's ideas of Christianity. For it's nothing more than a sugar pill. It's nothing more than a facade, it's a fake antidote. It doesn't work. It's sweet for a moment and dispels and disappears to nothing. What I need, I need a fresh commitment in my own heart to, to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to his disciples, can you pray with me for just an hour? Can you commit yourself to a moment and a time and a place of prayer? He said to his disciples, forsaking all, come and follow me. Are we willing to fast in our lives? Are we willing to make a separation and a calling to commit to God and consecrate an area of our life to God? Lord, I give it to you. I give my everything to you. I give my all to you. Being called to fasting and prayer, it's biblical. Eight times, eight, eight times kings and prophets proclaim the fast in the land. I call to us today, I'm no king nor am I a prophet. But I feel like I should be a leader. And I call us to prayer and fasting. I call us to united prayer and fasting. I call us at Live Spring Church to 21 days of sacrifice, 21 days of saying, I will set aside this for God. I will not partake of that for God. I will take inventory of my heart. I'll take inventory of my life. I'll check the capacity and the priorities in my life. I'll ensure that God is more than just first, but God is most. 
in my life. You say, this is new. Never heard this kind of stuff before at church. That's all right. Join us. Let's do this together. Let's do it as one body, unified for the purpose of his kingdom. I'm asking all of us, join in on our fast. There may be something that you just literally can't do. If you have a medical reason that you can't do that, then that's understandable. Make a different commitment. That's not an excuse for everybody to just take the easiest pill. But let's make a commitment together to do what God is calling us to do. To unite, to become together as one body and make a sacrifice for the kingdom. Because as we inventory ourselves, we are by default inventorying this body part of the church of Christ. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.